1: You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National. And now, Will Stephan is a climate change researcher at the Australian National University in Canberra and a member of the Climate Council. He was a keynote speaker at the recent meeting about climate change in the Pacific and he tells Veronica that Pacific Island nations are among the first to face the reality of impacts.
0: Already we're seeing the impacts of sea level rise on on many islands that manifest through salinization of groundwater, for example, increased inundation events and so on. So the most vulnerable islands are the ones that are obviously the most low-lying, the ones that aren't naturally accreting any more land area through coral debris or anything like that. So those are the first islands in in the world that are going to be feeling the effects of climate change in a very real and and very dramatic way.
1: In that light, is the Paris Agreement really worth celebrating?
0: I think it is in this way. 1.5 degrees is obviously going to be much harder to reach than the 2 degree. But I think it removes any sense of complacency that the big countries and the wealthy countries and the big emitters might have had, saying, well, 2 degrees, we can wait a bit. You can't You can't even wait a year if you're serious about 1.5. You've got to get emissions down fast if we have any chance of meeting that. So I think that adds a sense of urgency that I think wasn't there with the two-degree target. So I think that's good. In in terms of if we can actually achieve that, what does it mean for the Pacific Islands? What it means is this, I I think that if we can get to that 1.5 or very close to it, we're gonna go toward the lower end of the IPCC projections on sea level rise, uh, which means still a lot to cope with. This is another 40, 50 centimeters by the end of the century compared to the beginning of the century. But it's a lot better than a meter or more and gives Pacific Island states, other low-lying parts of the world, a fighting chance to deal with it, either through adapting, through um, moving back from the shoreline, if that's possible. In some Pacific islands, it isn't really possible. Others, it might be. Uh, Building seawalls, where that's appropriate, or um, having to move people as a last resort, if that's what needs to be done. But it gives people more time to deal with it because the rate of change the second half of the century would be slower. So 1.5 to me, if countries are serious, and it's a very big if, I think we'll be able to get a good handle on, on that in a very short period of time.
1: Is In your view, is that what we what we're aiming for is the best case scenario under all those different projections? Right. Is that in your view realistic? Because a lot of people say it's not just a challenge. Some would say it's already impossible
0: 1.5 is possible but i don't think it's possible without developing technologies to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere
1: so it's not just about reducing emissions down to zero it's something on top of that, that yeah
0: i think that's i atmosphere. think ultimately that will have to be done people could surprise me by how fast they could reduce emissions but given the past couple of decades i think that's almost uh, inevitable I think, though, there's a very strong argument that that's, that technology has not been proven yet. So we have to get on on with the job of uh, developing that technology. When we get it, it'll almost invariably be reasonably costly because you not only have to capture the CO2 from the atmosphere, you have to put it underground or in a very inert form so it can't come back out, say, in a fire, in a forest, or soil respiration, or whatever. So that's going to be costly technology again that actually puts the urgency on getting emissions down because ultimately it's going to be much cheaper avoiding the emissions in the first place than it is trying to deal with the problem after it's been been created
1: but when you talk about technology to strip carbon dioxide from the atmosphere out of the atmosphere is it the carbon and capture technology that's already under development which doesn't let the CO2 escape into the atmosphere in the first place, or are you thinking of even something fancier that literally brings it back down again?
0: Well, the the, the one that's most likely would be um, what's called biological carbon capture and storage. In other words, you use what biology does really well, which is to take dispersed CO2, photosynthesize it, make it into something solid, carbohydrates. Uh, and then the, the the most common proposal is to do that, say with with trees or above ground vegetation, on land, burn it for energy, but then capture the carbon from the smokestack. So you capture that, liquefy it, and pump it down into a geological formation so it's locked away from the from the atmosphere. So that's really what you've got to do is you've got to lock it away from the atmosphere. It's almost y-
1: like a a slow artificial way of making fossil fuels Indeed. again. Indeed. It's, 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 it's,
0: it's, it's, it's reversing the fossil fuel process. Now, nature does that too, but it does it over a very long period of time. So we need to fast track that. And of course, time you do something like that, it's going to cost you energy, which means you have to generate even more energy to get the CO2 out, which means you need more renewables or other non, non-emitting energy sources. So there's a whole challenge uh, associated with that.
1: That was Will Stephen, a climate scientist at Australian National University in Canberra. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. And you can find more stories on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash our changing world. Kakiteano.
0: Botox Cosmetic, botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.